Hello, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Art Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, and this is another in our series of fireside chats with the designers and makers in the RPG industry and beyond. Today, we have uh, Don from Hellebard Games. Don, welcome. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. All right, so Don, as I explained uh, just a few minutes ago, we're going to ask you five questions, a little bit of your, your background, and uh, we're going to hex crawl from there. So if you are ready, I'm going to give you the first question. I'm ready. All right. It feels like, it feels like a game show almost. But all right. Uh, uh, tell us about your first RPG experience. Um, like most people, junior high, it was basic in a purple box. And uh, a friend of mine brought it to school and we went through it and I was immediately hooked. I had the next weekend, I talked my mom into buying me a set. Nice. It took me a couple of months to get my uh, player's handbook and DMG out of my, my parents, but they had to wait for my birthday. Well, it took me a while to get advanced stuff, but I was an excellent whiner, so I managed to convince her by the weekend. <laughs> Nice. No, I, I got I got introduced to AD and D, so I I thought basic was you know for the little kids until I knew better. It's a shame. All right. Well, so you start with basic. So then, what is your go-to RPG system and why? Well, right now I have campaigns in Second Ed and Castles and Crusades, and uh, more rules light is the primary reason. Uh, we, you know, a lot of weight in rules can drag down the game. Um, we run pretty much every edition, but fourth regularly at our tables. But uh, if if I'm choosing, and as a DM, I get a lot of say, but I don't dictate. Um, but if I'm choosing, it's probably going to be castles and crusades. Well, CNC was uh, pretty much, I don't know, uh, proto OSR or something like that when it first hit. I mean, I know I looked at it. And and I found copies of the first printing on buy.com for, I don't know, $9.12 a copy. But it looked and felt to me very much like uh, Advanced D&D did. And that was a nice feel for a third edition base game. It was. It had the nice pieces of third ed. But we could, we when it first came out, we called it what third ed should have been. <laughs> no, but that's not, it's not saying anything wrong. It's It really... It, it it feels more like a natural progression from 2E than the full 3E or 3X rules did. Uh, that's for sure. It does. The one thing, I wish, they, of... one thing yeah. I wish they included was uh, prestige classes because those are astounding for customizing your world with different organizations. Yeah, or even just carrying over kits from 2E. That, they, you know, they, that would yeah. have fit in pretty... Easily, I think, but see, I look at castles, uh, castles and crusades. In a lot of ways, it, it's like the Rosetta Stone to uh, translate third edition or Pathfinder adventures to some extent back to an OSR feeling. It's like it, it's got it, it's got enough of both worlds that you can kind of like push adventures through it, and they come out playing as you need them. Yes. And in general, in general, one of the things I like about um, the OSR is the OGL underlying it. For a lot of monsters, for for a huge chunk of adventures, you could do that with any OGL-based system. But uh, you're right, CNC makes it easier than most. Yeah, because it, it it is more solidly built on a three X chassis, chassis, but at the same time plays very OSR, very rules-like compared to three X. That's, yep. that's... Yeah, I, I actually when I when I found those copies for like nine dollars and change on buy.com, I bought like six and gave out copies to my old gaming group. We get to, <laughs> we still get together like once a year. We don't actually game in person anymore, but we get together to do like geek stuff, play like Xbox or and drink and go out for food that'll make us sick by the next day. But uh, we run a thing called the tourney for for the core people that have been in the world forever or have made a big, big impact on, on my primary game world. And we uh-huh. get together for a weekend every year and it's nonstop role playing. Yeah. So this is, Oh man, we've been doing this. 
Uh, I think since two, we, we broke up as a gaming group of state, you know, contacted, you know, we broke up in early 97. We lost one of our, our, our group on uh, 9-11 when he went down, when the towers went down. But uh, so 2002, we were like, all right, every springtime in honor of our friend Paul that we lost, we're going to get together. And we, oh my God, we've been doing it now. Wow, this is going to be 2002, 2000. I'm going to say the 18th year we'll be doing this. Holy shit. <laughs> Sounds like me when I add it up. <laughs> yeah, first no. one would have been 92. And then we skipped a bunch of years. And then we've done it every year since like 98. Nice. Yeah, see, and and it's like my my group, we kind of stayed together because we moved on to EverQuest and Anarchy Online and stuff like that, City of Heroes, but uh, not 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 the same as getting together face to face with these you know people that you've been friends with since junior high school or high school. Yeah, some of these people still play with us. They do it online, and and we have one game that that allows online players and some of them will, will join in a different group each campaign, but it's nice when everybody can get in the same room and we can just talk. Yeah. My old gaming group is getting into five E now, but, and they wanted me to GM, but they wanted like, like they, they wanted it to be run like their MMOs are. But it's like, Hey, can we all get on in half an hour and play for an hour and a half? And I, I can't. And I, I tell them, I go, dude, I'm not like a DM on demand. You know, it's it's not like you're gonna boot me up and I'm gonna start running a server for you. It doesn't play that way. <laughs> that was yeah. one of the on the fifth ed group on Facebook. Somebody somebody asked how long is your average session or how long is your longest session, and one of the responses was two minutes max or two hours max. Otherwise, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, wow, I'm not sure I could play that way. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like it, it depends on what I'm running. If I'm at a convention, I'm running like Swords and Witchery Light, which is a great game for conventions, only four pages. Um, I usually figure it's going to take three hours for take. Four hours is usually too much time because I'll wind up killing the party. And, and two hours isn't enough time. So usually I, I, I'm looking for like a three-hour block. But uh, at, at this point in my life, playing for four hours straight would probably run me ragged. But less than two, it's like, why make the time for it? Especially if you got to be face to face, you got to get to a location, you got to get situated. We always took half an hour of bullshit anyway before games, so uh, two hours would not be enough. Yeah, we often do actually. <laughs> I got, I actually got Swords and Wizardry for Christmas. It was something I asked for that I got. I haven't played it yet, but I've read through it. Well, what you should do um, when you get a chance, uh, Bad Mike is on this Discord server. Uh, he's one of our. Uh, you know, admins, reach out to Bad Mike and tell him that you would like a Swords and Wizardry Legion package. And that would give you uh, a folder with graph paper, a couple copies of Swords and Wizardry Light, uh, some extra, an extra uh, monster sheet for it, uh, character cards. It's, a, it's all free. If you're in the U.S., they ship it free. And, uh, you know, you might as well... Uh, Get something that's easier. Even if you just want to ask them for 10 copies of Swords and Wizardry Light, we give that out for free all over the place. Um, it's so if you want your uh, your gaming group to experience an old school style game that's just simple to pick up. I run at conventions and I, I have people create their characters at the table, and we're up and running in 10 minutes with eight players. So if you can if you can do that with a rule set, you could run it for a one shot with your home group and then they say well listen if you like this we can move on to you know the source originally complete rules which i think are awesome i can they, they feel like one e to me without having all the uh, bells and whistles we didn't use yeah that was what i got when i read it um somewhere between basic and one e yeah it, it it's it's like one e without things like weapon speed segments spell interrupts uh Weapon versus AC adjustment, those, you know, the things that we just didn't understand or care about, uh, they weren't there, so you don't feel weighed down by them. So, all right, cool. Actually, now we've, we've talked so much. I can't remember if I asked you the second question yet about your go, what is your go-to RPG system. That that was what spawned this conversation. It is. I was like, I'm like, did I even ask that question? Because 
man, we covered a lot of ground. All right. But you started with the basic set. So then this question is applicable. Uh, racist class, yay or nay? I don't like it, but the simplicity of it appeals to me. Fair enough. I don't know how much sense that makes, but when we, when we, when we play uh, like the rules encyclopedia version, it always feels restrictive. But, but when I read it, I'm always like, this is cool because you don't have to, you know, you know what you have when you do your race. You You're right by that. Combinations. <laughs> oh yeah, there is certainly something that is uh, streamlined about it. Uh, I've told other people, you know, on this cast, I, I like the way Axe covers it because once you conquer a king, you have racial classes that are unique to dwarves or elves. So you kind of have race as class without it just being like a dwarf, a fighter, always. So I think they did a pretty good way of combining the two. And that's one of the ones I want that I don't own yet, so I'll have to look into it. <laughs> you motivated me to go get it. <laughs> uh, it's got a, a lot of stuff that if you like old school gaming, you're going to want to rip even if you don't use the system as it is. It, it's, 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 its engine is pretty much a uh, basic expert, which you already feel comfortable with. But... Uh, it's got a great roll of body over uh, detail. So if you if you fall in the battlefield, whether or not you're dead, it's sort of two dice rolls, but you could have, you know, something that will permanently maim you or disfigure you if you as you live when others will die. Cool. I uh, I survived Hackmaster, so I think I'll be okay with that. Oh, God bless you, my son. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That that that's that is a survival. We played for several years, actually, before we finally went, you know, the parody element is just too much. We should just play second it. <laughs> yeah, and it, Hackmaster was like second it going to 11. Yep. But I, I did, I did uh, farm it for a lot of stuff, so that worked out okay. All right. Where do you stand on save or die? And not the podcast. I do it. So I guess I'm in favor of it. <laughs> I've never stopped to think about it. But, I mean, if there are certain poisons that if they hit you, save or die. Um, there are places where I'm really uncomfortable with it. One of them is, um, one of my favorite modules is Egg of the Phoenix. I've run it probably okay. 50 billion times. And I always do something to make when the purple worm hops out of the wall of the cat, of the, um, spiraling depression and takes a character with them and the character is just gone and dead. I always give plenty of warning and, and try to hedge a little bit because I really don't like the, you know, uh, make a dex check at these negatives or you're dead. But most of the time, things like, things like deadly poison, they're in the real world. I use them in the game. Yeah. I, I think that's much like, you know, spice, you know, use sparingly. It's really effective. If you use it too much, it, it kind of spoils the, the uh, food you're making. But yep. I, 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 it has its place. All right. Now, here's a different type of question, kind of. What would the teenage you think if they could see what you would accomplish in the hobby by this point in your life? I think you'd be impressed. Um, figure 15 year old me got a rejection letter from Gary and later I got to work with him. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think he'd be pretty happy. Well, we're right there, there and then. You got to work with Gary. Let's hear about that. I was one of the Eggsburg authors that actually managed to get published before it all got shut down. Oh, really? Yeah. So Mogate was mine. And, uh, between us, my wife and I had seven modules, and three were submitted. Moatgate got published, and the others were in the process of maps and every and editing and such when when they shut down, so they didn't get finished. And that was what shut down with Gary's passing. Yeah, right after he passed, there was a you know stop selling now sent to Troll Lord, and there's nothing I could do about it. So. 
Well, I, I remember that. And I, I, I have some of Castle's acting stuff. I have more than I thought I did. I, I was cleaning up my gaming collection and I was like, I've got these sections. I just thought I had the core, you know, the Castle's Racket card cover. I was like, I've got stuff that's actually worth money on the aftermarket crap. I did the same thing. I was reorganizing books because I've added enough that I needed more shelf space. And, and I'm like, wait, I have the Eastmark Gazetteer. I looked at it in the store, but I don't remember buying it. Yeah, that's the same with me. And I was like, I've got almost a complete collection. I think I'm missing the underlevels or something like that. But I mean, I, I, I was I was stunned that I had it. I'm like, you know, I had to think that somebody sent this to me and I don't remember remember it because I really don't recall. I know it's had a lot of legendary adventure stuff from near the end. I, I actually have two full of the uh, starter boxes or whatever they called it that the Troll Lords put out for legendary adventures and one partially filled box. I don't know why it's partially filled. And we have two different versions of the original box and that's we got to play that with him which was pretty cool really yeah that's that's nice i mean i had interacted with gary on n world you know he he had his own thread on n world uh was a colonel plateau you know what he posted as and we i forget what stupid question i asked him i'm sure it was stupid but he, he was very gracious with his answer, and uh, you know he, he found out at the time that you know I, I was a police officer in New York, and he was like, "Oh, you got to come out to Lake Geneva, you know. Well, let me know when you're coming. I'll make sure that we're heavy. We have a game going. You'll have a seat at the table on the back porch." And and, and he meant that. Well, I and I could tell he meant that too. I and I regret never having gotten out there at that time. You know. I've gone to the last two Gary Cons. We're going through this one coming up, but uh, it's it's, it's not the same. I haven't been since it was still called LGGC. So oh, before really? Gary's passing, yeah. Oh wow! I'm okay. going. I'm going this year for Hellebard. How are you? Okay, well, you can find me probably at the Frog God table when I'm not running uh, games. Yeah, that's why I'm going is to run one of the modules I wrote. Okay, I'm running, uh, I think it's going to be the last time that the Frogs will have their Rappanathic setup going with the 3D uh, modeling. And um, the, th- the thing with that is is that uh, I-, I was I was just told yesterday, oh, yeah, I think that we put the, uh, the list of the games as 5E. And I'm like, you do realize I don't run 5E. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't go... And like, well, but you didn't run 5e last year when we when we told you last minute you were running a 5e game. What did you do? I go, I went with Swords and Wizardry Light. I'm going to do the same. <laughs> I, I think I'll run Swords and Wizardry Light with some 5e-isms. Advantage and disadvantage and a few others. But, yeah, I'll be, running, I'll be running 5e also. Yeah, you know, it... it my issue with 5e is not that it's a bad system because it's it's not a bad system. It's just that I haven't had the energy to learn. Dare I say it? A heavy set of rules in a long time, yeah. and it's not as heavy as Pathfinder. I understand that, but it's still got more. I don't know levers to pull and dials to twist than than I'm used to. Yeah, and it does. I mean, significantly more than like two E or C and C does for sure. Yeah, of and, and if life. you're running Swords and Wizardly Wizardry Light, <laughs> then a lot more. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and my wife was like, "Well, you know, you do have a week to get ready." I'm like, "Just like, give it, give the rules a couple of days, and if you can't, you know, grok it enough, then just run with light." I'm like, well, "I could, I could try that. We'll see. I, mean, I know the adventure by heart, so." And I can run that in any system, as long as I maybe I have to write my own like five E light rules in the next week and uh, run with that. We'll <laughs> see. Don't think I could whittle that down to four pages though. Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so now, what what adventure are you going to be running next? Uh, 
Actually, oh my god, it is next week, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. Um, I'll be running the Cavern of Tamalan, which is one of the first five modules we put out. And the first set of 15 is aimed at uh, 5e. The second set is aimed at Castles and Crusades. And then we have a set of five that will be 5e that uh, another author... I'm writing all, all of the first 30, but, um, well, I call it first 30, but the this way scheduling goes, they won't be the first 30 published. <laughs> They're just the first 30 we schedule. Um, there's a set of five that'll be 5e by one author and a set of three by another author that'll be 5e and then one-offs by two more. And one of them, uh, one of our playtest DMs for the first series that we did drops me a picture of what he wants to do for a dwarven city and I'm like, no one's ever done that. Do you want to flesh this out? Because he's just getting started. I'm like, because I have a place for this if you want to flesh it out. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So, so now, is there an intact setting to this, or is the setting just revealed through the different adventures? Right. What we tried to do was make them as adaptable as we could. So um, there are scaling notes throughout each adventure, and they're set in a default setting that is the world in Ordalia, my core world that I use all the time. But it's a pretty okay. generic high fantasy setting, so then we just have one page at the end that tells you how to convert to your world. Oh, that's easy enough. It really makes it flexible. That's our hope. And the scaling. Now, how easy is it to scale these? I mean, this is just coming from, especially in, in, in 5e, Castles are going to say to me, I would think would be easier to scale, but again, the more, the more dials you twist, the more levers you got, you, you, you pull in a rule system. I, I think the scaling would be a little bit more difficult to achieve. So what's your well, secret? 5e's thing with action economy means that we offer two different routes to scaling. One is an increased number of creatures and another is tougher creatures everywhere we can because adding creatures sometimes can overbalance and, and make an, an easy encounter deadly really quick. So what we did is, in order to fit the mainstream, is we used the uh, the calculations in the DMG to come up with what standard encounters should be, and then offered information if your party was bigger or smaller or five, than five, you could add these or subtract these or change to this monster. Well, that's pretty... All right, so now, now that's a reason for me to dig a little bit deeper into 5e, because a lot of times I don't know how many people I have at my virtual tabletop game that can fluctuate and uh, o o OSR, I know that OSR can always stand for like, oh shit, run, but uh, <laughs> you don't necessarily want your party to always have to run when they're maybe a little underpowered. So, yeah, a nice little scaling system is bad. Yeah, and they, um, you know, for me it's easier to scale CNC, but I think that's just a, a case of experience. I ran CNC for years, and we're back to it again, and uh, 5e I've run, you know, for a couple of years at most, and then not consistently. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I certainly uh, your your fluency or your expertise with the system does make that easier. I, I can certainly, I've done, I, I have taken DCC RPG adventures and pretty much converted them on the fly to Swords and Wizardry for my players because I enjoy the adventures and they enjoy the adventures. I enjoy DCC, but my players for the most part do not enjoy the system. They <laughs> a little bit the my players yeah, didn't oh, enjoy the funnel. Oh my players don't say my players love the funnel. It's it's the after the funnel. Because they can't especially spellcasters couldn't um couldn't predict what their spell was going to effectively do. It made it really hard for their mindset to adjust. DCC is very swingy compared to the other OSR systems. Yeah. But yeah, the adventures... It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, I would call it deadly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it certainly is. Unless, of course, you, you, know, you do really good in your role, all of a sudden you, your, your spell is like change the world. Yeah. But uh, you know, my I I enjoy the adventures. They they, they run very well as uh, episodics. 
not really a campaign, but if you if you treat it like a, uh, like a weekly TV show, that's that's what we shot for with ours. So each group of five is a setting and four encounters that happen around it or along it. If one's a road, that's why I say or along it. Um, and you can you can pick one out and drop it into your campaign and play it, or they play as one to two five-hour adventures. And so you can string them together to make a campaign if you want, but they're individual episodes. Now, see, that flexibility that I, I really like. Wow. We kind of sat down and asked, what do we wish we had? And then tried to design it. So hopefully we hit the mark. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's... Because your GM's a lot of flexibility, too. It's like I can run... Like, how much time do I have to fill this week? What, what is our slot? And okay. I can prep for uh, two encounters, maybe three or two, and the wandering random event. I hate, hate the wandering monsters by itself. I like, I like more of a random event, whether it's monsters or some other activity going on. But yeah, yeah and we uh, use both. It depends on modules. Some of them just have straight wandering monsters, and some have, you know, cases where where the monster isn't a monster. And it's more a random encounter that you have to resolve something for. Hmm. So now you're getting me really intrigued on your adventure line. I hope so. <laughs> and if it's written for Castles of Crusades, I can easily use it with Swords of Wizardry. The, um, because of Hasbro's rules for under the OGL, mm -hmm. Our fifth ed ones are pretty easy to convert to to anything else that's OGL because we had to use only OGL um, creatures, or we had to fully define the creature in the module. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So at the end of each module, we put a chart that is: here's the encounter area, here are the creatures, and here are what most OGL call the equivalent creature. And for most things, it's a straight across. Uh, a couple of things like humans are handled, you know, just normal men or low-level guards or whatever are handled completely differently in every edition of the game. And I didn't know that until we started writing these. I didn't know that either. That, well, yeah, I guess the one e Munster Manual has, like, so many subdivisions kind of, like, of, of, of the humans you could randomly encounter. I don't remember how Tui handled it. I should. It was a similar system, but different, different groupings. Okay. And then three, I never played. I just collected. So I, I certainly couldn't tell you. Uh, you can that? actually take levels in commoner in third, so. Okay. Well, I, I, you know what? There were house rules to allow that pretty much. As long as commoners were NPCs in earlier editions, because you didn't always want your barkeep killed with three hit points. You didn't want them all to be retired adventurers. Yep. So it was almost like Hackmaster giving them the, uh, what, what do they call it, the bonus XP? Yeah. Or the HP kicker. Yeah. And we went with, you know, um, like the people who worked in the Smith or the people who worked for the Stonecutter, we gave them bonuses to hit and damage. But they're commoners in every other respect. We just gave them, a, you know, in the... So for 5th Ed, it's expected that your entire stat block will be right there with the text. So we put them in. And then for the ones with where it was more than a commoner, we've just bolded, you know, this has plus two to hit and damage or whatever changes we made. Hmm. Now, you, now you really got me. Yeah, you really got me thinking on this. So... And you have a large number of adventures then in the works, too, for all this. We do. Um, right now on our site, the currently released are the first five, which is um, Adventure Tome 1, the Village of Ensington, and the four one-night adventures that occur around it. And then out on our site, you can see um, Adventure Tome 2, the Road to Raiders Point, and the four modules that are the four one-night adventures that are based on the road, but it's not available yet. Um, it was supposed to be available in February. 
we did not plan enough time for playtest DMs to miss games around the holidays, and uh, we ended up having playtest and a little bit late, so we pushed it out to next month. Well, you know, if you were a Kickstarter, you'd still be effectively on time. <laughs> if I were a Kickstarter, I'd be early. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. That's, that is that is true. And, and anytime a Kickstarter finishes within like three months of its window, it's, it's effectively on time. Especially some of you know, the ones that are shipping from China because you have no control over when that stuff arrives sometimes. And it, it doesn't seem to matter whether the Kickstarter is a new company or an established business. It, it, they all seem to run late. They all seem to slide a little bit, and it's and it's interesting because uh, last week I actually had lunch with Phil Reed from Steve Jackson Games, and we talked about that. And he, uh, the fantasy trip Kickstarter, he he gave me the, the legacy box because he had brought it to the toy fair and he didn't want to send it back, so it was either destroy it or meet me for lunch and give it away. Um, eight pounds of uh, the fantasy trip, Jesus. Wow. But yeah, it's a huge box, but. He was saying that, you know, they had, you know, Kickstarter, they planned it arriving in March. He goes, it might slip to April because they're waiting on a ship. The ship left late, and then you're going to have, you don't know how the customs is going to be. And and at least with Steve Jackson Games, you know, he goes, you know, here we are, early February. They've already shared it on the website that it might be late, which a lot of companies just kind of, Wink and nod, and yeah, it'll be there maybe, sort of, you know. So I, I like the fact that Steve Jackson Games is up front. They can have a little bit of a delay. I think it was on the tavern. I saw that one that that finally said, "You're getting what I have after like six years late." Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't even get to that one. That was Brave Halfling, uh, and that was the DCC Adventures that he kickstarted. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, uh, John is a nice guy. Uh, he really overshot on that one. I mean, immensely overshot. And and when you're doing a Kickstarter with physical stretch goals, and you haven't budgeted for the physical stretch goals funding, um, that, that you're, can get you're dead And since he wasn't able to ship immediately, as you probably know, uh, U.S. postage rates just shot up. Yeah. And that wasn't budgeted for either. So the fact that he's finally throwing himself on a sword, he should have done it years ago. I hate to be saying it like that. Kind of like Mike Neistool did. He threw himself on a sword and owned up to the fact that he's, he wasn't going to produce stuff. It's a shame. Yeah. You know, and, and Brave Halfling, they put out the uh, Swords and Wizardry white box box set. And it was, it was nice. But that was late, too. <laughs> that wasn't a Kickstarter. <laughs> so now you don't kickstart your stuff. Uh, no, we, uh, we had had bad experiences with Kickstarters. Um, specifically what we're talking about, you know, um, really late delivery or outright failed and we didn't want to ask people for money when we could afford to self-finance the first few and then count on revenues to keep us going so we chose not to the the only huge negative to that is that there are a lot of eyes looking at kickstarter and that puts us in a position where where we're fighting harder to get noticed yeah, in a way, Kickstarter is a marketing beast in addition to being a crowdfunding beast. It is. You know, but, and I... I've, go ahead. No, but we're, you know, happy with our choice so far, and everything's rolling forward. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I've heard complaints from gaming community. Not a lot of voices, but some people feel that the larger companies like Goodman, Frog Eye Games, Troll Lords, shouldn't be using Kickstarter to fund these things. They should be out of pocket. But uh, a lot of times with the companies, if you want to print the print runs they want, to gamble if you're going to make those numbers in regular distribution. So I think Kickstarter guarantees you if it's funded and if you can handle it. There are, there are companies that just can't handle Kickstarter because money in and then it's money out of their pocket right away. Yeah. 
and that you know i went through the cycle of i don't think they should be doing it and i it wasn't just getting the numbers that they wanted but it was also the um the ability to say you know we were never going to print this we had it on our schedule and it kept slipping because it we didn't think it was important enough but you guys have shown us it was so now it goes out yeah i mean Kickstarter is a strange beast, and people don't have the same uh, tolerance Kickstarter dreams like they did in the beginning. You can have a Kickstarter dream, and and all you needed was a dream, and it would fund. And I think that in the case like I don't know uh, Frank Metzner with his uh, Kickstarter from was twenty seventeen that he was uh, expecting to to fund the setting. Yeah, but he didn't have he wasn't able to present enough of what he had prepared for people to do the buy-in if he had presented that four years prior he would have probably hit his numbers it's just a different market the market changes they get gun shy when when folks known and unknown aren't able to uh produce what they're paid for in a timely fashion i guess and and with an increasing number of projects out there there's a lot more for them to choose from too which makes it you know that also hurts yeah no and that's certainly it uh, i have funded as a backer way too many kickstarters i'm a super backer my wife's sleeping so i can say that <laughs> are you really i i've fund i've backed a, a few um several of the troll lord ones and um a couple of regular game ones uh rivet wars and some other RPG ones, but I haven't gone nuts. No, I've actually, uh, I have a, in addition to the gaming stuff, I have a, a cider brewer machine that I actually have to set up and use. Um, but yeah, I, okay. I have seven active uh, things that I've backed and uh, successful pledges, which means ones that actually funded. 323. Wow. And I know people that are worse than I am. I mean, it, it, I, I was a lot worse be, be, before I retired because it'd be like, oh, I want, I'm sure I can find a way to make some overtime this month. I can pay for this. That, and now it's like, yeah, I got a pension. Uh, yeah. Do I really need it? Will I use it ever? You know. And when the question is, use it ever, as opposed to just, if I use it once, I maybe I justify it. Will I use it ever? And you're like, okay, that looks really cool, but I, I, I can't. Like the one that's really like, you know, tempting me now is Cockbox games from uh, the 80s, from Steve Jackson games, where they're re-releasing all those like the original Ogre and Shockwave and Car Wars and Vampire and Truck Stop. Yeah, I saw that one out there actually. That that one seems high risk to me. You, you see people doing that with cramming a bunch of '80s video games together, and they almost inevitably fail. Oh, the, it's the Jackson games. It's it's gonna. They've they've done the numbers. It's it, gonna happen. I already. I was given the uh, Troll Lord. Sorry, uh, sorry, the Troll Lord. Yeah, the Fantasy Trip Pocket Box. Also, when I got the huge legacy, when I gave yeah, it to Jeff Talanian over the uh, past con weekend at Tobacon. but. Uh, no, they're solid boxes, and, and they, Steve Jackson games, you know, is, is going to produce. You, you know the companies that will, and you know the companies that probably will. You know the ones that you kind of go, all right, I'm, it's just like, I'm, at, like, I'm at Vegas. How am I feeling on this one? <laughs> is, is Daddy going to roll well on, on craps, or am I going to crap out? Yeah. Um... So I only have one active and three successful on the list. I think that's Oh my short. damn. But Dude, one of really? my one of my successful was for far more than most people ever put on a Kickstarter. Okay. I won't I, I won't ask. But what was it? It was one of the virtual tabletops that is out there. Um they were years late, and it was uh, so. I pledged at a level that gave, that put me inside the team. I'm a I'm a programmer by career. Oh, okay. And I pledged at a level that put me in the team basically as an architect, and so I contributed to it. But uh, there were some pretty 
pretty bad, uh, and I'm not going to name names because I'm saying this, there was some pretty bad personnel issues that went on. And it put them behind to the point that they were years late delivering. But it's a decent product. It is not the one I choose to use, which is another reason not to name it. Because <laughs> we use Fantasy Grounds. Okay. And, but, uh, um, you know, the the being knee-deep with the development team was great for me because there were things I wanted to figure out that I was able to figure out because I was in the code. Uh, okay. See, like, I own Fantasy found out that actually I owned Fantasy Grounds, not just a GM's license and a bunch of player licenses, but I also owned an, owned an Ultimate license. I couldn't figure out why I did that over the years. But uh, I was much more comfortable with it, with it as a player than I ever could try to run a game with it. You're a coder, so you're more natural for you. But trying to set up your own adventure as opposed to buying something that was pre-bought from the store uh, at the uh, Smiteworks store was... Uh, beyond my abilities to do in a timely fashion. Um, um, so my wife and I both code, and until this year, we've been running our own server, and our that is our virtual tabletop. We use it to play all our games that are online. Um, but the server's dying, and we went to upgrade it and discovered that we've taken so long to upgrade the software that we'd have to essentially start from scratch. So, <laughs> so that's the, I started Fantasy Grounds relatively recently, uh, late last year, and and learned it as a DM, and maybe that's why it's it's it is more comfortable for. Me. Yeah, I learned it as a player, and as a player, it was great. And we didn't even we weren't even using voice with it back then. Like we like all times you use Skype or Google Hangouts as a side thing for that. Just using text, it worked fine. I I when I run games, I use uh, God Roll Twenty, but Roll Twenty years ago. Shortly, I, I backed them on, on Kickstarter, and I, ba I backed a number on Kickstarter. Uh, some succeeded, some never went anywhere. I kind of knew that was going to happen. Uh, one or two got merged into World 20. But uh, I remember they reached out to me, and they wanted to record me running a session for my friend, because I guess I was a persona. And I had to explain to them, I go, you're going to have a very boring use of your software. All I use is, besides the dice rolling, is the map feature and fog of war and a pointer. I don't use tokens. We don't use character sheets. It is, it, it, it's almost theater of the mind, but just because I don't have people in front of me, I can't explain things so well when they don't have my hand gestures, that it's easier to do like a reveal with the fog of war you're really not going to have a great showcase of your software with me running it unless it's how one can minimalize the use of your, your features. And uh, yeah, they never followed up with me after that. Go figure that one out. And, and I use about the same. I do use uh, um, the text that you can just drag into the chat window and it, and it quotes to people. Mm -hmm. um, saves me, saves me reading every box text. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, it, we started using character sheets. That was my, my and oh, and handouts. I started going, oh, I can do this. All right. Well, that's a lot easier than trying to do like a screen share. Yeah. Okay. But I, I like VTTs. Uh, pretty much, well, you know, all flavors. I might. I, I started out with Klug. Klug works back in the day. Wow. Oh yeah, that and Screen Monkey. Oh God. But uh. I like it because although I live in New York City and the outer borough of Queens, and I'm sure I can find gamers if I tried, uh, the gamers that I found with the virtual tabletop so that I, we've gotten groups together are people that I know from the OSR community at large. But these are people I I, I know uh, want to play games in a similar fashion that I do as opposed to finding a local group which in this day and age probably almost always be uh, you know, Pathfinder or 5e. Yeah. I can find I can find my my Swords and Wizardry group, play around with uh, Call of Cthulhu, whatever. And uh, it's easier, I think, when you when you can grab virtually worldwide. For us, it was U.S. and Canada, East Coast to West Coast. But it certainly was, you know, much more convenient than me driving 
an hour and a half out to a game floor on Long Island to play every other week, every other Thursday night. I can, I could sit in my underwear in front of the TV or computer and, and, and game. Nobody has to know. No. Yeah, we do the, uh, you know, we have the two regular games that are 2E and C&C, but we do um, pretty regularly, about once a month, we'll have a game that is just a one-off of Game System X, um, just to play it. Our last cool. one was the new Star Wars, and we didn't like it. Now, was that with the virtual tabletop or face-to-face? That one was face-to-face, but we do them bo- both ways. Depends on who's interested in playing whatever game system it is. No, that was why I was asking, because I know that new Star Wars has those funky dice, and I, yes. I, I guess you would you know, need a, a plug-in to run that online of some sorts. Yeah, I'm guessing. I don't, I, I don't, I don't like those. I don't like funky dice. The new Warhammer, well, the Warhammer prior to the Warhammer that's coming out, which is really a reboot of the Gold Games Workshop Warhammer, but the uh, Fantasy Flight Games Warhammer used the funky dice, and uh, I had the box set, and yeah, I never ran it. So WFRP or um, Warhammer Battles. Warhammer, WFRP, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Got it. Uh, yeah, that it, it, it was kind of reminded me of when Wizards of the Coast went from 3E to 4E. It was like reinventing the wheel. And I think that's another reason why 4E didn't succeed like they wanted it to. You know, if you already have the wheel, why are you reinventing it? Just improve on it. Yeah. I did, um, we picked up uh, WFRP when it first came out. Um, because of the this is really gritty advertising yep. they were doing, and we haven't updated it, so that's still the version we have. I I ran first edition back in the day. I own most of the second edition stuff, but still good. Uh, that was Green Ronin uh, publishing that, and it was mostly compatible with the first edition. Our first edition campaign ended when the uh, the, the party wizard. Who also thought that uh, he was a pyromaniac and like would wear the uh, little little vials of, of oil across his chest like it was like a Mexican bandito? Uh, yeah, we well, can only see where this is going, right? Because he failed his role critically uh, with the fireball, so it imploded on himself and killed everybody in the party. But the the one character who had wandered off to go shopping. <laughs> and he was and and in the end he was trying to fireball something that was not a chaos creature he just thought it was from the distance thought he was going to you know uh, I had a wizard use burning hands to get rid of the ticks in his bed in an inn one night oh that's good yeah that went over poorly <laughs> do you do realize that your bed is made out of straw correct yeah <laughs> I don't see what the problem is with that. It'll burn better. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we had similar groups back in the day. Yeah. Fun times, man. Fun times. So now, um, you said that your next release is in March? The next release for 5e is in March, and then sh- followed shortly... Um, the scene, the castles and crusades stuff is going to PDF only, and that will be in April. I think is our scheduled date for that release. Before I tell all your listeners, let me double check that. Okay. I have a schedule, and it's big for this year, actually. I have a schedule, but text put in place for me. It is huge. May so. In in May, the first five CNC modules will be out. Uh, in where is that? In March, the uh, the second five fifth ed modules will be out. So so the mid levels for for fifth ed uh, five to ten. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, right now when these things are getting ready to release, or when they have released, reach out to me so I can make sure I can. Uh, mentioned on a blog site. That'd be great. Okay. And uh, I think that we've we've pretty much covered what we uh, needed to cover. We could a sizable amount of a sandbox crawl today, or a hex crawl. 
Not bad. Well, thank you, Don. I appreciate this. Thank you. And, it's nice uh, talking to. <laughs> that's why we call this a fireside chat. And I, I, that was uh, Ian McCartney. And he said, why are you calling these things interviews? He goes, you're not interviewing anybody. You're just chewing the shit and chatting. It should be a fireside chat. I was like, hmm, you got a point. And it is. It's much more relaxed than an interview. It is. I was actually kind of able to ignore that we're being recorded. Isn't isn't that awesome? <laughs> that that is uh, that is huge. Actually, I'm glad. I'm glad. That's the way it should be. You shouldn't feel like you're being recorded. You feel like you're just you know yapping at a bar. Yeah. It, it, it is a tavern, so it kind of works. It does. Well, like I said, on uh, I'm going to include a. Uh, a link to your web store at hellabardgames.com. I'll include that into the show notes. Thank you. Folks can pick this stuff up. And like I said, Don, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It was good. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. There you go. And on that note, folks, as always, God bless. Be safe. Roll your dice well. And I talk with you all tomorrow. Later, folks.